Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. So if you were here for the Hashtag Church series and you heard us talk about some of the things that church is about, you also noticed on the very first Sunday of that series that we celebrated our 10th anniversary here at Crosswalk. 10 years of of being able to share the cross and the resurrection with the people of this community, of telling people about Jesus as the Savior of the world and the Lord of our lives. This has just been an exciting 10 years. And I know that many of you are just as passionate about this church as I am and have been with us for a long time. And I'm just so appreciative of the team of people that have hung in there with Crosswalk over the past 10 years. But it's also interesting that sometimes you can see a foreshadowing of things when a church is 10 years old that if, if they are allowed to carry on, might lead to a not-so-good place for that church much later on. And what I want you to know is that as we're talking about tonight, we're talking about the book of Revelation. And I know, as I said earlier, you've heard all kinds of things about the book of Revelation. Maybe you've tried to read the book of Revelation before and you've gone, oh, I can't understand this. What, what, what are these? It gives you bad dreams at night. You feel like you ate the wrong thing before you went to bed. It is not a good picture when you read through the book of Revelation and you're thinking, I'm not even sure I want to delve into this in church because it's scary or it's weird or the people who read it are scary and weird. So all these doubts come into our minds with Revelation. What I want you to know is it's not nearly as scary as it would seem to be. And in particular, the part of it that we're going to be dealing with for the next seven weeks in this series is very straightforward. Because if you've read the book of Romans before, the book of Ephesians or Philippians, what we're going to cover in the next seven weeks are very similar to those. They are brief, very short letters that were written to seven churches in Asia Minor with the Apostle John, the the Apostle whom Jesus loved, the one whom Jesus said, take care of my mom at the cross, as Jesus' communicator, but he is only communicating on behalf of Jesus. Jesus is actually the spokesperson. He is actually the author and the writer. So when we hear the pronoun I for the next seven weeks, as these letters are being read, I want you to know from the very outset, this is not I, John the Apostle here. This is I, Jesus, talking to these seven churches. And what he's doing in each of these seven churches is he's giving them a heart check. Maybe we would call it a gut check. And he is telling them, honestly, this is what he sees. Now, what you need to know is these are churches that are celebrating not their 10th anniversary, but the book of Revelation was given to John the Apostle while he was in exile on an island. He had been exiled there by uh, the Roman government for preaching Christ, uh, 
a barren rock in the middle of the sea. And he was, Jesus came to him in a vision to give him comfort, to give him strength and courage for where he was. And I'll, I'll describe more of what happened to John in a moment, and you'll, you'll know why Jesus did this out of love for John. But it is 95 AD now. And the churches that, that Jesus is speaking to in these seven letters were started by the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey at about 50 AD. So 50 AD, and now we're at 95 AD. So these are 45-year-old churches, roughly. The interesting thing is that the first letter is written to a church in a city called Ephesus. And you probably recognize that because there's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in that city in Ephesus. What's it called? Ephesians. And guess when that letter was written? The church was started roughly 50 A.D. I'm rounding it a little bit. It was maybe 51. The letter to the Ephesians, it's estimated that it was written in 60 A.D. on the congregation's 10th anniversary. And now we're at 95, 35 more years later in the book of Revelation. The interesting thing that we're going to see in this letter to the Ephesians is even when Paul first writes to them on their 10th anniversary, some of the things that come up 35 years later on, are already foreshadowed. So I want to show you a couple passages. Um, I'm, these are not in your crosswalk notes. I just gave them to, uh, to the people who are sh- uh, putting up the slides. So take a look at this. This is from Ephesians. And you might recall this passage that because this is a pretty well-known passage. I pray that you, you Ephesians, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people... To do what? Here's my prayer for you. This is a pause in the middle of the whole letter. This is smack in the middle. Let's just pause and pray here. Fold your hands. Here's what I want to pray. Please, Lord, help them grasp how big Jesus' love for them is. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. This is after 10 years. Want to make sure, Lord, that they just know how big Jesus' love for them is. Show the next one. This is one we, we actually uh, used a couple weeks ago. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So here Paul is saying, first I want you to know the love Christ has for you. And now Paul goes on and says, and I want that love of Christ that you receive to overflow in such a way that you clearly demonstrate your love toward one another and you stay one And whenever you speak to one another, 
You tell people the truth, but you tell the truth lovingly. Speak the truth in love. Okay? Tenth year anniversary, right? So now let's, let's, uh, let's dig in. And I want to ask you a question to start today. Is it possible to be completely right and completely wrong at the same time? What do you think? If any of you have ever (laughs) been in an argument with someone that you love very much, you know the answer to this is yes. (laughs) Because, right, what can happen is that person can be, they can be telling you all the right things. They can be saying, this is what you got to do. And you can be sensing in yourself, you know what? They're right, but they are so holier than thou as they do it. So emotionally unintelligent as they present their truth to you that you're like, oh, I can't stand it that they're right because they're so wrong in how they're telling me that they're right. That, that a person can be completely right with the facts and completely wrong with the approach. And so that's what we're going to be kind of talking about tonight a little bit as we we look at this church. Is it possible to be completely right? To be, as a church, as a Christian, to have the Christian truths, to know the doctrines and to know the facts... And at the same time, forget how high and how wide and how deep the love of Christ is. Have you ever felt yourself kind of go there? That you, 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 as you've come to know more and more about the Lord and you can quote Bible passages and you know the doctrines better than ever, some of that first passion that you had when you became a Christian kind of feels like it's, it's slowly drifting away even as you become smarter in the, in, the, in the biblical truth? What's going on there? And can that happen not only to an individual Christian, but can it happen to an entire church, an entire congregation? And so let's dive in. Let's take a look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, again, are there symbolic uh, phrases and, and terms and words in here? Absolutely. But they're very easy. If you have your Bible... These are all actually explained a few verses earlier in Revelation chapter 1. So, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, to understand that, you have to realize that the word angel simply means messenger. And so, Jesus may be speaking to an angel, an actual angel, 
But it's more likely that he's talking to the messenger of the congregation, a.k.a. the pastor of the congregation in this context. And the reason I say so is because in some of these letters, the angel comes in for some pretty strong criticism, which we wouldn't normally think that a real angel would come in for, but a pastor might if he weren't leading his flock in the right way. So if you go back to Revelation chapter 1 and you look at verse 20, he explains what the seven stars are. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. Let me explain it to you. The seven stars are the angels, the pastors of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So now we go back to our verse. To the pastor of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars, the seven pastors, in his right hand. Who would that be? What what did Jesus tell his disciples when he sent them out with the gospel? And I will be with you always to the very end of the age, right? He promised when he sent those disciples, those leaders out, I'm going to be with you. He's, he's telling the pastors of these seven churches, I got you. And walks among the seven golden lampstands. He's saying what he had said very plainly long before when he was alive. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be. Can anyone finish it? In the midst of you. So this is Jesus, and he's using some picture language here, but he's basically saying, hey, you guys, I'm here, and I have you, and I love you. I am present. Don't see me as distant. I'm not, I haven't wound you up and walked away. I am right here with you, pastors. I am right here with you, churches, and you matter to me. That's what I want you to write down first. Jesus loves the local church. Jesus loves Crosswalk Church. And he loves the shepherds and the leaders of this church. Are you a growth group leader here? Shepherding some people? Jesus says, I got you. Are you a ministry team leader here at Crosswalk? Leading others to get ministry done? through this church so that Jesus can be glorified? We just talked about in this hashtag church ministry, there's a place for you to go. If you'd you'd like to be a, a leader in this church, Jesus says, I have you. I'm holding you in my right hand. Are you a staff member of this church? Are you a pastor of this church? Jesus is saying, I've got you. And, and church as a whole, I'm right here with you. I know everything that's going on. If things aren't going exactly the way that you want them to go, if this is not working out exactly the way you anticipated that it would when you started 10 years ago, have no doubts. I'm here. I'm here. Do you remember when your children were small? And they'd start crying. And maybe want to come out of the bedroom. And 
for us, I don't know about for you, but I'm guessing that many of you did the same thing. All that was required for you to get them to go back to bed sometimes was, I'm here. I'm here. Don't worry. Mom and dad haven't gone anywhere. We're here. That's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I'm here. And when things are dark, when things aren't going the way you want, or what, whatever might be going on, I'm here. He loves the local church and its shepherds. We matter to him. Now he dives into the specifics of this church in Ephesus. They're 45 years old. You heard me say that before. And he starts with, man, there are things that I love. I just love seeing what what you guys are doing there in Ephesus. Now, it shouldn't be completely surprising to us. Do you know who was on staff at the church in Ephesus? Now, you guys, you have a great staff at Crosswalk. You've you've got Christy over there in children's ministry. You got Phil with outreach and youth ministry. You got Jonathan leading the, the worship ministry. You got Pastor Dan. We all know he's awesome. We don't want to talk too good about him. He's gone on hunting trip right now. But anyway, he's pretty cool. But if you had a chance to trade all of us, even me, which I hesitate to say, in for this staff, how about Paul together with Priscilla and Aquila as your founding pastor? How about Timothy as a pastor. How about John the Apostle? These are, these are guys who literally wrote the book. How about having them as your pastor? Can you imagine uh, a 90, 95-year-old Apostle John and all the other apostles and, and, and disciples have died because they've died a martyr's death. And picture him up here, right? And he's in a rocking chair. And he's like, and you can come up here after the service and say, so, like, dude, you, you walked with Jesus? Tell me about that. What was that like? You were there at the foot of Jesus' cross when he was crucified? And Jesus told you to take care of his mom? Wow. And you did those miracles in the book of Acts when you were healing people? Crazy. Wouldn't it be cool to have a pastor like that? Now, I know I'm pretty cool. Pastor Dan's even cooler, but I think that'd be awesome. That's what these guys had for pastors. Now, John, one of their guys on staff, as I told you, is exiled. The Roman government has gotten ticked off at him. Uh, This is under the emperor Domitian. He did not like Christians, to say the least. So his thugs had gotten John, literally, you're not going to believe this, he was dropped in boiling oil and somehow survived. And after he survived, that's when he was exiled to the island of Patmos. This is according to tradition. We don't find this in the Bible, but we do find the Patmos part in the Bible. But according to church tradition, this is what happened to John. Boiled in oil, when that didn't kill him, he was sent to a rock in the middle of the ocean to scratch out a life. And he's, Jesus is coming to him to give him comfort and to give him this vision to share with the churches. Look at what Jesus says through John first. 
You Ephesians, I know your deeds. I know your hard work and your perseverance. Man, you are a hard, hard working group of people. The volunteer percentage at that church is incredibly high. There's people serving on the worship team. There's people serving on the outreach team. There's people serving on the fellowship team, making new people feel welcome. You got a, you got a, a rocking children's ministry there in Ephesus. Everybody is on board. Everybody's volunteering. Everybody's reaching out. Everybody's working hard. And we, we know that Jesus, John, Timothy... They had all seen churches like this because churches like this are described from the very beginning going all the way back to Pentecost. Remember Acts 2, 42 to 47? When we started Crosswalk, we started this church saying, here's a vision of a church filled with the Holy Spirit and what it looks like when that, when that happens. Let me, uh, let me read what we, what we read there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with with glad and sincere hearts. This is a description of the Jerusalem church following Pentecost. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When you read those words and then when you continue to read through the book of Acts, here's what you find out. Churches who work hard look like this. They are willing to share their wealth generously. Do you hear what I just read? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Somebody had to buy those groceries. So they, they were just generous with their time, generous with their money, generous with their talents. They aspire to excellence. You know, very early on, a problem came up in these churches of how to distribute food to poor widows. And, and widows were a problem back in this day in the sense of how to make a livelihood because in the way the economy worked in Jerusalem, it was pretty much your husband or your sons provided for you. And if you didn't have a husband or sons, you're in trouble. And you were probably going to be just walking day to day, hand to mouth. So the church said, let's do this differently. Let's make sure that these widows are taken care of. And there got to be a little problem. And so do you know what the church did? They're like... This is not working the way it's supposed to work. This is not excellent. We're going to fix this. And they brought seven new people in. We just had an Ebola czar. That's just one person. The early church said, we need seven widow czars in this church. And they appointed them, and there they were. And they made sure that that program became excellent. It was not enough for it to just kind of stutter along. 
They lower themselves to be servants. Everyone was volunteering. They were working hard. When, when those guys were appointed to take care of the, of the distribution of care for the widows, it says the whole church just rejoiced. Oh, look, we're, this is a new opportunity for us to serve. We love being servants. If you go back to Revelation chapter 1, Anybody got their Bible? Let let me read it for you. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Who is this whole book written to? His servants, Christ's servants. That's what he calls a disciple, someone who serves. And then... Fourthly, people who keep on learning and growing. We heard that. They met in the temple courts daily. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. Anybody recognize these? One encourages you to go out, take a peek at the banners. Hold your, um, hold your little sheet up next to those banners. See if you can do a little matching game. Willing to show your wealth generous, uh, share your wealth generously. Aspiring to excellence. Lowering yourself to be a servant. Keeping on learning and growing. You know that those letters out there spell crosswalk. Well, I just gave you walk. You see what we're aspiring to be at crosswalk? A church that works hard, that is commended by Jesus because we want the kingdom of God to come to people who don't yet know it. We want people who do already know it to be served and strengthened and keep growing and develop a a deeper relationship with Jesus. And, And if we don't think that takes hard work, we're fooling ourselves. It takes hard work. And Jesus commends the Ephesians Because they're ready to work that hard. And he's really saying, you know what I love about you guys? You are not, you didn't, you Ephesian Christians are not consumers. You don't just come to church and go, man, I'm here. What are they going to feed me today? Man, I'm here. I hope I get served today. You Ephesians are a group of believers who come to church ready to work ready to serve. You are happy that you can be addressed as servants, not consumers. Now he goes on. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. Jesus had told them. Paul had told them. There's three types of people. You know what they are, right? Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says there are sheep, There are shepherds and there are wolves. Sheep are those who believe in Jesus as their Savior. Shepherds are those whom God has called to lead and to feed those who are called believers or sheep. And wolves are false teachers who want to come in and devour the sheep. 
That's their goal. They want to devour the sheep with their false teaching. When Paul met with the Ephesians, he told them, "You got this is on their 10th anniversary. He says, watch out. Be really careful because as soon as I leave, wolves are going to come in here and try to devour you Ephesians. They're going to try to destroy you with their false doctrine and their false teaching. But what does he say about them here? They heard those words. And they are diligent about keeping the wolves at bay. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. You test those who claim to be apostles, but aren't. And you know when they're false because you know your Bibles. You read, you study, you're diligent to know what is biblically true and what isn't. And that's a good thing, he says. Out there in the banners, you'll notice one that says, strong in truth. That's what Jesus is commending the Ephesians for. You guys are strong in truth. Jesus loves it when a church is strong in truth. So strong that it recognizes the wolves and is able to distinguish them from the shepherds and the sheep. And make sure that they do not get in to destroy the work of the Bible that's been done in their midst. So Jesus loves it when a church works hard. He loves it when a church is strong in truth. Here's another thing that he loves. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. This is a church that kept persevering. Let me, let me read something to you from, from a history book. Under the emperor Domitian, who was naturally inclined to cruelty, he killed his own brother. He raised a persecution against the Christians. In his rage, he put to death some of the Roman senators that were Christians, many through malice. He confiscated their estates. He commanded that all the lineage of David, that is the Jews, be put to death. And among the numerous martyrs that suffered during the persecution of Domitian, which is the guy that is the emperor when the letter to Revelation is being written, Simeon, the bishop of Jerusalem, was crucified. We already heard about John, boiled in oil, then exiled to Patmos. Flavia, the daughter of a Roman senator, was banished to Pontus. And, a, and many laws were made taking rights away from Christians. No Christian, if ever bought, brought it to trial in a Roman tribunal, will be exempted from receiving a punishment unless he renounces his Christian faith. So no matter what you're charged with, you're guilty if you're a Christian. Unless you say, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. This is how life was for these people. And Jesus says, I love it that you don't let that stop you. You're not turning away from your faith. You're keeping going with your faith, no matter how people treat you because you're Christians. And I know we're not nearly there in our society today, but trust me, it's going that direction. More and more and more, the message of Christianity 
is out of line with the cultural message of today. And for us to be strong in truth, we're going to, in proclaiming the truth of the Bible, more and more and more have to face the fact that we may be having to think about our own perseverance ourselves. And and do we really trust that Jesus is our Savior? This congregation is commended for their perseverance. That's the good stuff. Jesus sees a lot of good stuff as he does his examination of this church. But look what comes next. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Turn your page over. There were many great things in this church, but Jesus had to call them to repentance. And he had to call them to repentance because they were forsaking their first love passion for Jesus Christ and their first love compassion for real people. Now, go back to those passages that we read earlier, right? Remember the Ephesians passages? Guys, I'm praying that you will grasp how high and wide and deep the love of Christ is. That prayer almost seems like a prophecy now, doesn't it? Because now Jesus comes to this church and says, I feel like you're losing your passion for Jesus. You're hardworking. You stick to the truth of the Bible. You chase away false prophets. But you've lost your love for Jesus. You're doing the right things, but you've completely lost the why. You want to hear something really weird and ironic? Revelation was written in 95 AD. Church history teaches us that their pastor, right now, their leader in place, the guy on staff leading them, is a fellow named Timothy. Remember him? Timothy, it's almost mind-boggling to think. Timothy is he's called by Paul. He's like, I've got to have Timothy with me. He's my right-hand man. Timothy was just mentored by the Apostle Paul. Timothy is a co-author, credited by, by Paul as a co-author on four or five of the New Testament books. Now, is it that he's trying to pastor the people in the right direction and, and remind them of Christ and they're just not getting it? Maybe. Or has Timothy himself somewhere along the line lost his passion for Jesus? It's It's almost mind-boggling to consider how Jesus can be saying this. But it's clear that their first love, passion for Jesus, understanding Jesus' love for them first, and their compassion, their, their care for one another has been lost in all this other stuff. The hard work, the, the truth-telling, 
to grit your teeth and persevere through all the hardship somehow has ground out of them their grasp of how high and wide and deep the love of Christ is for them. And Jesus says, that can't happen. That's, that's taking the engine out of the car. That's taking the why out of why we do everything. That, that is huge. If you, if I, if we're not filled up with Jesus, if we're not filled up with forgiveness, if we're not filled up with grace and mercy and peace, there's no way for it to overflow out of us into one another. It has to start with the cross. It has to start with the empty tomb. It has to be about Jesus always, always, always. And his love for us. Somehow they had lost that. And here's what I want you to write down. A church like this is not strong in grace. They were strong in truth, but they forgot the other S in the crosswalk banners. They were not strong in grace. They weren't strong in understanding how much love Jesus has for them. And therefore they cannot be a caring community of believers. Which is, by the way, the sea and crosswalk. Look at what Jesus says to them next. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That just simply goes back to the first point. I I will give you credit. This is the sandwich technique Jesus is using. He's using commendation, criticism, commendation. Anyone who's ever been a teacher knows the sandwich technique. This is how you talk to a child when they're not doing what you want them to do. You tell them how great they are. Then you tell them what you need them to change. And that's what John's doing. But he's also giving them a really big warning. And here's the warning. A, church's, a church that loses its love will eventually lose it all. A church that loses Jesus' love for it. A church that loses its grasp on how high and wide and deep the love of Jesus is will be unable to love each other. And eventually, Jesus says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Remember, the lampstand is a symbol for the light of the church. I'm going to, I'm going to, Take away your ability to do what churches do. Lose your love. Lose it all. And then Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus says, but it's not done. There's a way back. And I'm giving you this warning now so that you can come back. In fact, the word repent means turn it around. Change your mind. Change your way. And he's called them to repentance. And he says, here's the way back. Here's the way to repent. Here's the way to turn it around. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The way back to Jesus is to listen to the Spirit. And here's where the Spirit is, right here in this book. Read this book, and you'll hear the Spirit's voice. 
And then he closes with a promise. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is Jesus' goal for you. This is Jesus' goal for every church. A church is to be a life-giving place. A Christian is to have a hope that he is living the life now. Remember what Jesus said? I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. That's what Jesus wants for you. And this is, this is Jesus saying it again through John in Revelation. I'm going to give you the right to be in heaven. Just like it was in the Garden of Eden where there was a tree of life. There's going to be a, a tree of life in heaven too. In a paradise, this beautiful eternal garden that God has planned for us. And you're going to eat from that tree of life and you're going to live forever. And that's the gift that I've given you by dying and rising again. Don't lose your gift. Don't lose me. Don't lose the gospel. Don't lose your first love. The way forward, in other words, is to grasp the love of Jesus and ask the Spirit to strengthen our grip on his love. As Paul the Apostle had told these same Ephesians 35 years earlier, the way forward is to grasp the love of Jesus for us and to ask the Spirit to strengthen our grip on his love. Let's look at that prayer. Let's, let's read it together as we close out today. Ephesians 3, 16a, 17b, and 18, that last passage starts with, I pray. Let's read it out loud. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Here's the bottom line. And I wrote it out. It's at the bottom line of your crosswalk notes. A tidy church that has it all right, but has lost its first love, passion for Jesus and people, has it all wrong. May we never be that church. May crosswalk Always do the big and in the middle. Strong in truth. Clinging to all that the Bible has to teach. Not tolerating any false teaching. And loving and being loved by Jesus. And because we overflow with, with Jesus' high, wide, long, deep love. We overflow that love onto one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these letters to the churches in Asia Minor that teach us so much about what the church is meant to be. It's, it's your son Jesus specifically teaching each one of those local churches, those local congregations, what he wants for them and what he wants from them. And Lord, as we go through these next seven weeks, Help us to absorb these same, same lessons. Help us to, to ask ourselves, how are we like the Ephesians? What do we need to repent of, turn away from, uh, rethink in our church life? How can we be, at the same time that we're truthful and in the Bible, how can we be more loving and more 
recognizing of how high and wide and long and deep your love for us is. Lord, help us never, never, ever to be detached from Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have made us, like the Ephesians, a a hardworking church that cares about the truth. And now also, Lord, we pray, make us a church that is centered around you, Christ, and receives your love and mercy and forgiveness daily, and then spreads that love, mercy, and forgiveness out to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. That's where we need to be led every week, led to the cross, because as we are fond of saying at this church, it is all about Jesus. And you and I know that every relationship goes through a maturing process where it can be easy in that process to lose your passion and to lose that first love. And that's what happened in Ephesus. We're not going to let that happen here. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to not let that happen here and keep it all about Jesus and how high and wide and long and deep his love is for us. Let me send you out into the week in that love. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord will look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week. If you need to be prayed with, just stay here in the auditorium. We'll have someone come down and pray with you. Otherwise, we'll see you out on the patio.